Thank you. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Um, I don't know, uh, maybe you've heard this passage a a million times. Um, I think for most people who've never heard it before and then heard it for the first time, I think they would have a problem. I think most people have a problem with this text. A problem because, you know, they don't like the idea of, of the devil or, or this warfare language. Because, you know, they might say something like or think something like, you know, that is exactly what is wrong with religion. That's why we have so many problems in the world today. Because religious people say stuff like, we're right, we're good, you're evil, and we're going to get you. Well, I understand that frustration. Horrible things have been done and continue to be done in the name of religion, in the name of religion, and that's obvious to anybody paying attention. And I get why people don't like the warfare language, and I think I understand why why they don't like the idea of a, of a personal devil. Now, if that's you, before you tune me out, I would ask that you would just give me a, a chance to explain it this morning in a way that might be different than what you've heard before. And for the rest of us, you're probably wondering, why are we talking about evil on Father's Day? Hey, it's Father's Day. We should talk about evil. Have you been following the news? The news you watch, it's always heartbreaking. It's always uh, angering. It's been especially heartbreaking and angering lately. And you know what? The most popular response, even among Christians, is to debate policy. Now, there's a place for that. But what's weird is, even among Christians, I I hear much less, hardly any at all, though, of the, the reassuring proclamation of the faith, hope, and love found in King Jesus and his powerful good news known as the gospel. Our children are watching the grown-ups. And we will either train them to be shaped by fear of the world or shaped by our faith in our Heavenly Father. So I think this topic is appropriate. I think it's relevant. I think it's timely in light of current events and Father's Day. Because if you are going to raise children in this world, if you're going to raise children in this world, We need to prepare them. And we can't prepare them if we're not prepared ourselves. And then finally, I want to challenge every single one of us in this room to do a brutally honest assessment of how strong you are in the Lord in this moment, in this season of your life. How strong are you in the Lord this morning? Have you thought about that lately? I want to encourage you to think about this morning. And I want you to wrestle with that. Think clearly about that. Ask God to open your your eyes to see the condition of your heart as we walk through this this message. Okay? So let's get into it. If you're taking notes, you have the handout in your bulletin. Um, And the main topic of these verses is mentioned in verse 10. And it says simply this. Be strong in the Lord. 
And to understand this, I think it helps if we ask three questions. And that is, why do we need the Lord's strength? What is the Lord's strength? And how do we have the Lord's strength? So the first question is this. Why do we need the Lord's strength? Let me give you three reasons. And the first reason is this, that evil is real. Evil is real. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Obviously, Paul means that we do not wrestle only against flesh and blood. He's saying that the evil that we see in flesh and blood is the symptom of a deeper problem. And if we don't see that, then we'll try to fight evil in thoughtless reactionary ways. All right. Um, I have a question for you. I'm interested to see how many hands go up for this one. How many of you have seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? All right, a little bit more than the first service. So <laughs> we got more nerds here. It's awesome. And if you don't know what Monty Python and the Holy Grail is, hi, how are you? If you don't know what Monty Python and the Holy Grail is, it is a movie that junior high boys think is hilarious. And there's a good chance I'm still a junior high boy. You remember the Black Knight? And he tries to stop the hero from crossing the bridge to go into the forest. Right? What happens to him when the hero tries to pass the Black Knight to cross the bridge to pass through the forest? They get in a fight, right? The hero and the Black Knight fight. And what happens to the Black Knight? He gets his arms and legs chopped off, right? And, and uh, what does he say when he gets his arms and his legs chopped off? It's only a flesh wound, just a scratch, right? He did not understand the seriousness of his situation. When we muster up the courage or the foolishness to take on evil on our own, we are the same way. We do not understand the seriousness of the situation. We are naive and overmatched. See, the Apostle Paul was, was stoned with stones and threw rocks at him. He was stoned, he was arrested, and he was jailed. And all of this was done by flesh and blood human beings. But Paul says, you know what? It goes deeper than that. And the reason that you need the Lord's strength is because evil is a supernatural power and we have no way of beating it. So we're baffled by the problems in the world. There are shootings in schoolyards, colleges, and nightclubs. There's child abuse, starvation, and disease. There's conspiratorial politics, manipulative propaganda, and opportunistic wars that shatter the lives of countless people with immeasurable suffering. And we shake our heads and, and we ask, you know, why is the world like this? This stuff's been going on forever. Forever. Just 200, just 200 years ago, people were not wondering, why is the world like this? You know why they weren't wondering why the world was like this? It's because they knew. 
they believed in original sin, the, the inborn inherent evil of humankind, and they believed in the devil, that our struggle was not only against flesh and blood, but in the 20th century, people dismissed all that because we're so smart now. Poverty, crime, war, hunger, they're just a result of bad genes and bad government and bad education. All we got to do is apply scientific principles and we can fix everything. But then came World War I and World War II, the Holocaust, the Cold War, the Korean War, Vietnam, global terrorism. And instead of getting rid of evil, we're becoming more aware of it. So our children and our children's children and their children need to be prepared for this. Evil is all around us. It is pervasive. And we have no way of processing it. There is something, there is clearly something beyond our control at work in our world. And we have no way of dealing with it. Now here's what I've learned. I have learned that the scriptures give us insight into terrorism. They give us insight into child abuse. They give us insight into ethnic cleansing. The Bible teaches us that, that evil is both natural and supernatural, that evil is inside and outside. That, and, and you know what? Look, this morning, you, you may not agree with me, and you don't have to agree with me, but you can't just say, you're kidding, right? You, you believe that? You know why? Because that's not an answer. That's just cynicism. And cynicism is nothing more than a sneer disguised as sophistication. We have, every single one of us, we have all seen someone do something horrible that, that we never thought that they were capable of doing, right? Every single one of us has seen something done uh, by someone that we thought they were never capable of doing. It might have been at work. It might have been at home. It could have been your spouse. It could have been your kid. Or maybe you did something that you never imagined that, that you would ever do, and it totally shocked you. And then when evil hits us in the face, I mean, we're totally clueless because we thought evil was something that we can control. The few laws and a few biblical principles, whatever, I mean, we, we, should, we got this covered. But we've thrown out the scripture's explanation for it. Paul teaches us that evil is real, that we wrestle not only with flesh and blood. And then secondly, we need to know that evil is subtle. Verse 12 is a little bit vague. Look, look what it says. It says, for we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. What is, what is he talking about here? Is he referring to demonic powers running loose around the world, causing all kinds of havoc? Or is he talking about people and institutions around the world, social systems, government systems, economic systems that are acting in a demonic way? Well, commentators say the, the vague language here points us to believe that it's both. Evil is subtle. Gen and Genesis 3 says this, that the serpent was the subtlest of, of all of the creatures. He is subtle. He is manipulative. And he will outthink you every time. He's been at it a long time. 
The devil never comes up to you and says, hey, I got an idea. Let's be really bad. He never says that. He is attracted to people and attracted to organizations that are doing good things. And the more effective you are, the more evil forces are attracted, and the more evil will try to get you to work in evil ways. Because the the devil never says, hey, work so hard that you destroy your marriage and your family. No, he says, you know what? You need to be successful so that you can provide for your family. The devil never says, hey, let's take advantage of, of the poor and invest in projects that are, that are ripping off the neighborhoods. No, the devil, he uses your desire for approval to keep you from asking your boss the difficult questions. The devil never says, hey, let's start rumors about that jerk so that everyone turns against him. No, he says, you know what? That guy treated you unfairly and other people should know so they don't get screwed over by him too. The devil never says, hey, yell at your kids and shame them into obedience. No, he says, hey, you're just speaking the truth in love. Evil is subtle, man. And the devil uses good things for evil. And then evil is close. You know, Paul, in this passage, he's using all this warfare language, and then he uses the word wrestle, okay? We wrestle not with flesh and blood, a word that comes from athletics instead of a military word that we would expect him to use because of the context. Why in the world is Apostle Paul mixing metaphors here? Because evil is close. Now, here's, here, I don't, I, I don't, maybe, I don't think it's just our culture, but it's, but it's definitely pervasive in our culture that, that when we think of evil, we think of evil are the bad guys with black hats way over there that we shoot missiles at. Or we think that evil is, is if it's here, is something that, you know, we fight with a gun. No, evil is so close that you don't see it until it has you by the throat. Evil is closer than you think. In this moment, evil is closer than you think. The most devastating, the evil that is most devastating to your soul and to my soul is not obvious to you and me. And, and maybe, maybe God puts some people in your life to, to, to tell you about it. Maybe your parents or spouse or friends, but, but you don't listen. And when they bring it up, you say, you know what, why, why are you making such a big deal about this? Or you shift the blame and, and, and justify it by saying, hey, man, if you had the father I had, you would understand. Why don't we own up to it? Because we don't see it. Until it's choking us. We need to look at our own hearts. We need to listen to the people God places in our lives. We need to ask for for insight into the evil inside our own hearts. We will never be able to process all the evil that we see in the news until we process the evil that is in us. 
We need to look at it and wrestle with it. And we need the Lord's strength because we can't do it on our own. Evil is real, it is subtle, and it is close. That leads to our second main question. And the second main question is, well, what is it? What is the Lord's strength? Well, we know it's not flesh and blood strength, what we usually think, right? Check this out. Look, look what Paul says. Uh, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So, now, let me be clear about something right off the bat. There's one thing that, that we, we should come to a conclusion to, when, that should, a conclusion that should be obvious to us when we read this. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of, of his might. This is important because we will not be strong until we admit that we can't be strong. We will not be mighty until we admit that we can't be mighty. And who is mighty then? The Lord is mighty. And when Paul uses the title Lord, he's talking specifically about Jesus. We're talking about the strength of our Lord and Savior, King Jesus. And what is that? Paul tells us in his letter to the Colossians that Jesus disarmed the powers and the authorities by triumphing over them. How? By the cross. King Jesus defeats evil through weakness. King Jesus defeats evil through service, through humility. Jesus triumphs by losing. He wins by serving. Jesus defeats evil by dying on the cross. And then God raises him from the dead to advance his kingdom of grace. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the power of God that changes the world. So Paul is telling us to be strong in the gospel. Be strong in the good news of Jesus' death and triumphant resurrection. We must, we must give our kids a vision for that. They must see that our hope is in that. How do we help them see that? What does this look like? How do we take this, this, these ideas I'm talking about and bring it into real life so we know what it looks like? Here's what it'll look like. It'll look like humility and confidence. Let me explain. Humility, we will live and act and speak and write with humility because we will realize that we were so helpless in the battle with evil that it took nothing less than the death of God the Son to save us. How could we not be humble? And I'm telling you, with everything that is going on right now, even uh, uh, among Christians, I, the public forum, whether it be news or radio, blogs or social media, you just don't hear much humility at all. And true confidence comes from realizing that Jesus' resurrection means, do you know what it means? 
Jesus' resurrection means that Jesus has won. He's won. Evil is defeated. Yeah, the, the powers of evil are still waging a battle, but evil has already been doomed through Jesus' death and resurrection. And a day is coming when evil will be completely eradicated. Do you believe that this morning? So how do we fight evil? We fight it primarily through prayer and gospel proclamation. Primarily through prayer and gospel proclamation. Paul says, put on the armor of God and pray at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. And also pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We battle against evil with God's word, and God's word from cover to cover is all about King Jesus, who he is, and what he's doing. We talk to God about people, and we talk to people about God. We fight evil through humble, confident prayer and humble, confident proclamation of the gospel of grace. If you are trying to fight against evil with any other means, with more effort than than humble prayer and, and proclamation of the gospel, you need to stop what you're doing now and get back to humble, confident prayer and humble, confident proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. In his grace. Because otherwise you're just doing more harm than good. Listen, this is critical. To be strong in the strength of the Lord is not flesh and blood power as we usually think of power. It's not we are strong, we are good, they are darkness. It is not military power. It is not, mil- it is not political pressure. It's not vigilantism. The way of Christian strength is the way of the cross the way of weakness and service, the way of humility and confidence. So again, let's, let's, let's buckle down on this. Let's apply this. Let's get real practical what it looks like. Let's, let's apply, apply this to, to criticism, sharing our faith, and suffering, okay? So when I'm criticized, if I become defensive or if I become discouraged, then I am not being strong in the Lord. But if I am strong in the Lord, I will be both humble and confident. I will humbly receive it. I will evaluate it. I will try to look for what's true in it, even if maybe 99% of it I know is factual error. I look for the 1% even that is true. As opposed to just dismissing it all, I look for the 1% that is true and repent for anything and whatever it is that I can. Why? Because, you know what? I know that I am far more sinful than I ever dared to imagine. That means that I am far more sinful than what anybody else could possibly say about me. And then I move ahead with confidence. 
Why? Because I know I'm righteous in Christ. My confidence is not in me and my righteousness. You know, the way we act when we're criticized can be such a powerful opportunity to disciple the children. It is powerful discipleship when they see that humility on display and that confidence in the gospel on display. But let me tell you something. It's also powerful discipleship when they see you arrogant or see you fearful. It's just discipling them in the wrong way. We are constantly discipling our children by the way we live out the gospel and apply the gospel to our own lives. And then finally, when I, or next, I should say, when I have the opportunity to share my faith um, with someone, talk to them about Jesus, if, if I go into assault mode on the person and, and, and try to use my God-given talents to insult them or be disrespectful to them um, and then call it, you know, being bold for Jesus, I'm not being strong in the Lord. Or if I never talked about, if I never talked to people about Jesus and his grace, and I just kind of dodge it, even though it involves some difficult truth, then I'm not being strong in the Lord. But if I am strong in the Lord, I am both humble and confident. You, you humbly listen to them, and you treat them with dignity and, and, and respect, and you confidently share the good news of Jesus and his, and his, and his grace. And, and I think my kids got this better than I did. when they were just, I remember when Dakota was just, he was either 10 years old or 11 years old, and I'm having a conversation with them about, you know, how, you know, how, how do you think we should share our faith with people? And, uh, I mean, because it, it, it includes some really difficult truth. How, how do you think? I'm just wondering what is in the mind of this 10-year-old kid. And he says, you know what? 10 years old. I, I think that we should become really good friends with them no matter what, because good friends will listen to anything you have to say. I mean, Jesus is called a friend of sinners for a reason, right? And third, when I get hit with suffering, if I become angry with God or if I become angry with myself, I just beat myself up, I'm, I'm not being strong in the Lord. And this kind of thinking sets in at such a young age. But if I am strong in the Lord, then I'm humble and confident. I'll beat myself up because I know the cross means that God is not punishing me. He died for my sin and he will not punish my sin twice. The cross was sufficient. And you're not angry with God because you know the cross is proof that God loves you. And therefore, even when you don't understand it and cannot come up 
with any good reason for it at all, and, know, and you know that you may never understand it in this lifetime, you know because of the cross that whatever is happening to you, whatever is coming into your life, whatever is just feels like uh, tearing your, your life down and breaking your heart is from our loving Father who will ultimately work it for our good, and he will one day make all things right. And I know that can feel impossible to believe sometimes. I know. You know how I know? From personal experience. So this leads us to the last question. How can we have the Lord's strength? Well, Paul says in verse 13 this. Take up the whole armor of God. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, go get the armor of God. He says, take it up, put it on. Why? Because you don't have to get it. You know why? Because if you're a Christian, you already have it. And the Apostle Paul tells us to put it on. And, and, and he's, not, he's not saying, if you want the armor of God, get righteous. If you want the armor of God, get peaceful, get good. He's not commanding you to make your own armor. It is God's armor, and he's telling us to put it on, not to go get it. See, it's not your righteousness that you create. It's not your peacefulness, your salvation, your truthfulness, your faith that you create. If we had to go into battle just wearing our righteousness, our faith, against the forces that we were just talking about, we don't stand a chance. We're no match for that. God says, take up his armor, and you already have it. Put it on. Trust it. Now, check this out. I mean, we don't have time to go into all of it, or this would be 20 minutes longer, but let me just say this. The armor that Paul's talking about has an Old Testament background. He's referring, to, he's referring to Isaiah chapter 11 and especially Isaiah chapter 59. Make a note of that. Look it up later. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 59, where the armor is given to the Messiah to accomplish salvation for his people. This is Jesus' armor, the armor of his perfect life, the armor he wore when he defeated evil through the cross and the resurrection. But now here, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 goes beyond the Old Testament Jesus' armor is now given to us. We have been given the invincible armor of Jesus' perfect life. His truthfulness, his righteousness, his peace, his faith, his salvation. We already have it. And Paul says, take it up, put it on, trust it. Don't trust your own armor, your own strength. It is foolishness. Now, anyone here thinking, what do you mean we already have it? Well, all Christians by definition know that we already have forgiveness because Jesus died for our sin, paid the penalty for our sin, satisfied God's wrath and to adopt us into Jesus' family. We, we know that by definition. But very few Christians know that we already have the armor of Jesus' perfect life given that Jesus lived for us, that's been given to us. 
already. <laughs> Let me explain. Um, most Christians believe that they have to put on their own armor. Their, their own righteousness. They, they, they trust their, their, their own faith, and our faith can be weak sometimes, can't it? Our own performance. You know what? Maybe you were raised hearing that as the message of Christianity. Be good. Do this. Don't do that. Do you remember what it did to you? If, if you teach your children to put on their own armor, they will either grow up being self-righteous or crushed. Most Christians believe that Jesus cleansed them of sin through his death, but now you have to put on your own armor of righteousness, peace, and faith. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus not only cleanses you of sin, at the moment that you believed in Jesus, he gave you the armor of his perfect life. He gave you his armor. You're clothed in his armor. You have it already. Now take it up. Put it on. Okay, how? You take it up by remembering who you are in Jesus. The only way to stand against evil is in Jesus' armor. If you try to stand against evil in the armor of your own righteousness, peace, and faith, you're done. What you need is the perfect, complete, invincible armor of Jesus. So, when criticism... Criticism, suffering, sharing your faith. When criticism, criticism comes to me, why do I become defensive or discouraged? Because I'm looking to my performance as my armor, my success as my, my, my armor, my abilities as my armor. But I take up the armor of God by remembering that my success, my performance, my abilities is not my armor. It is not my righteousness or peace. Jesus is. Then I respond to criticism with humility and confidence. When suffering, when I get slammed, when I get hit, when I get the wind knocked out of me by suffering, when it comes into my life, why do I become frustrated or fearful? Because I'm looking to my circumstances as my armor. But I take up the armor of God by remembering my strength and my salvation is not found in my circumstances. It is found in Jesus. Then I can respond to suffering with humility and confidence. And, and when I have an opportunity to share my faith, why do I go into like attack mode or hide? Because I'm looking to my reputation as my armor. If I go into attack mode, I either want to impress myself or my peers or something. So they can say, oh, look how brave he is, you know, speaking hard truths and he's suffering for Jesus. Or maybe I avoid it altogether because the gospel does contain some difficult truths. But I take up the armor of God by remembering, look, my reputation is not my armor. It is not my security or, or victory. Jesus is. Then I am able to share Jesus with humility and confidence. So, think about this this morning. 
where do you need to do spiritual warfare? You know, it seems as Christians, like, like for the most time, it seems like spiritual warfare is something to be uh, avoided at all costs, as if that is even possible. It's not possible to avoid spiritual warfare. It is going on. God says, suit up. Suit up in the armor of Christ. Where do you need to do spiritual warfare in your own heart? Because you cannot process the evil around the world until you process the evil within you. Think of a problem that has you down. Think of what is making you angry, making you frustrated, making you impatient, something that has you worried, filling you with anxiety. Maybe, maybe people tried to tell you about it, but you haven't listened. Is there anything, anything that comes to your mind right now? What comes to your mind? Maybe several things, a handful of things? What is it? Write it down. Make a mental note. Tell whoever you're with. Address it. Look at it. See it. What is it that you're looking to instead of Jesus for your armor? And how, just evaluate, how is that working for you? Do you have peace or unrest? Evaluate it. And then, take up the armor of God. Because you already have it. And you take it up by remembering who you are. In Jesus, take up Jesus' armor and do it, as Paul says, before the evil day is upon you. Do it before the hands of, of evil are around your throat. An evil day is coming, and you need to be prepared, and we need to prepare our children. Do not wait until it's too late. Do it now. Put on the armor of God. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us more clarity than ever before on who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That he delivered us from evil, that he delivered us from wrath, that, it, that he made it possible to be in a relationship with you. Help us to remember that it took nothing less than the death of God the Son to save us. Help us to never forget it. And may it cultivate humility in our hearts. And that we would be humble in our prayers and our proclamation of the good news. Heavenly Father, I, I, I pray that you would enable every, every single person here as we, as we sit in these, these chairs that, that you would allow us to, to focus on what the Holy Spirit is stirring in our hearts. Give us eyes to see where we are trusting in our own strength, in our own might, because we don't trust the gospel we don't trust the power of the good news of Jesus. God, help us to help realize that your grace is what enables us to freely confess it.
and that you are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that has never trusted you, maybe they've rejected Christianity because the Christian message they heard was just do this and don't do that because the Bible said it. And here's a few verses. And it was just a way to, to control them and be good little boys and girls. God, I just, I pray that, that you would give them open hearts to receive the good news of your grace and that they can rest because you give them the righteousness of Jesus. Help them to trust Jesus. His life, his death. Give them the courage, the faith, the ability to follow him. God, I pray that, that you would hear our, um, our cry out to you this morning as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, that the gospel, the good news would transform us and make us more like Christ. We pray these things.